Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. When was the last time you were truly amazed by something? I don't mean like mildly like I was when I recently tried the Tim Hortons maple bacon breakfast sandwich. I was mildly amazed. It was fantastic. But amazing is a big word. When was the last time you were truly amazed by something? I find the older I get, the less amazed I get. And maybe there's room sometime to talk about wonder and curiosity and how that keeps a person healthy, but that's not the purpose of my time today. I do find, though, as I get older, I am a little harder to amaze. I uh, recently had a friend telling me about the newest iPhone. I don't even know what number it is. Is it number 14, the iPhone 14, and all the things it could do. And I said, let me guess what it can do. It's a slightly nicer camera and a little bit faster. Am I right? Yeah, pretty much. But it takes a lot to amaze me. I mean, I lived through, to be fair, anybody remember like how exciting it was when the iPhone first came out and like those first few iterations were pretty amazing. But now it's kind of the same thing. I think there is a connection and a correlation though to, to youthfulness and wonder. Like it is pretty hard to amaze per someone who's seen a lot of things. But I, I did, has anybody seen the kid online, the corn kid? Has anybody seen this guy? Have you heard the song? It's corn. <laughs> You heard it? This kid, this kid, for those of you who don't know, Google it when you get home. Do not do it right now. I will lose you for the rest of my time. But this kid was interviewed by some reporter about his passion for corn. And this kid is just amazed by corn. He's holding it out in a wide-eyed wonder, saying, look at this thing, this big lump of knobs. It's amazing. And he goes on, he says, I tried it with butter and everything changed. <laughs> He said, the best thing about corn is when the corn breaks, it restores your energy. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know. But he is, he is super passionate about corn. He's amazed by it. But today we hear Jesus is actually amazed by something. And if, if my theory is right, that with age comes the, maybe, maybe a little less propensity towards wonder and amazement. It takes a lot to amaze someone who's seen a lot of things. And if we take the word to be true, then Jesus was the one who was uncreated. He was there at the foundations of the earth. And we find in today's story that Jesus is actually amazed by the faith of this centurion. There's only two times in all of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where you hear the words, Jesus was amazed. He was amazed. The other time was also in regards to a person or a people's faith. And it happened in the book of Mark where Jesus goes into his hometown of Nazareth and he's amazed not at the quality of their faith, but the lack thereof and their unbelief. But we find Jesus is amazed. It says that when this centurion came and explained his perspective on who this Jesus is, verse 10 says, Jesus was amazed. I want to talk for a few minutes about this faith of the centurion that amazed Jesus, this type of faith that he had. Now, some of you are like, I don't know why this really matters. I have real world problems and things that I'm carrying and things that I'm concerned about and things that I wanna see change. Do we really need to talk about faith and the quality of our faith? Why does this matter so much? But I wanna to suggest to you today, before I outline the type of faith of the centurion, I wanna just place on you the value of why it's so critical we get the question of faith right. 
Here's what the Bible would tell us, and we're going to look at this a little bit more detail in the time I have today. But the question of life and death over our lives, according to the Scripture, according to the Gospels, according to the Word of Jesus, is not the quantity or the sincerity of your faith, but it's the accuracy of your faith that dictates the level of life you receive in Christ. It's not how sincerely you believe in something, it's how accurately you believe. Or better put, is the thing or the person that you are putting your faith in the right thing to put your faith in? I remember hearing an old preacher talk about the story, an illustration of two men who fell over the side of a cliff and found themselves stranded on a ledge. And the two men deliberated all afternoon about what the best way was to get up. And there were two rocks on each side. Then they were arguing about which rock seemed more stable to reach up and pull themselves up to safety. And the one on the left said, I think it's the one over here. I'm, I'm mildly certain that it's the one over on my side. And the guy on the right was a little more convinced convinced and a little more sure of himself. And he said, no, I am positive it is this rock. Well, it turns out the first guy went and the guy that was most sincere and the most sure of his choice, and he went up and he fell down. It was the wrong rock. The person who was saved was not the one who believed it most. The person who was saved was the one who believed in the right rock. And this is the case we have today when we talk about faith. We read back in the gospel, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount past, this past summer, where Jesus said those terrifying words about on the last day when he comes back, he said, on the day, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy and cast out demons and do all these things in your name? We believed. And Jesus says, I'll tell them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's not that the people didn't believe. It's not that they didn't have faith. There was something about their faith that was inaccurate and placed in the wrong way. So this causes this jarring reality of people who thought they believed in the right thing only to find out they believed wrong. If you read the letters of Paul, in the, in the letters of Paul, a huge portion of what he endeavors to do is to bring accuracy into the beliefs of the early church. A lot of it's correction in theology and faith and to try to get them to come back into a centered version of the gospel. This is why, like in Galatians, he says this, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, the gospel that I preached, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached, that specific gospel, unless you believe in vain. What's he saying? He's saying it's possible to think you believe in the right thing only to find out that you believed in vain. That there is an accuracy when it comes to this belief system we call Christianity. And I believe that right now, church, we are in a moment where we have got to get our faith right. Can I get an amen? Like we are in a moment right now where we have got to get through a lot of false gospels and competing ideologies and find that pure faith in King Jesus. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will I find do you know it? Well, I find faith. The most critical challenge right now for you, King's Church, and for the macro church is not evangelism, although that's important. It's not discipleship, although that is, that is important. It's not social justice, although that is important. The most important and critical challenge of the church today is having real faith in the real Jesus. 
Not in some counterfeit Jesus or quasi-Jesus or Jesus plus or Jesus minus. We live in a time where that is very common, isn't it? Jesus and other things. We see a lot of people with that. I remember talking to somebody at the gym. They found out I was a pastor and like, oh yeah, I like Jesus. I'm, I'm into Jesus and a little bit of Buddha, kind of a mixture. I'm like, yeah, great. Um, I, I do, <laughs> anyway. But you also find not just Jesus plus messages that people believe, but you find a lot of Jesus minus messages. I like Jesus. He's cool and all, but some of the stuff in the Bible, I'm, yeah, you know. We edit and we adapt and we adopt a faith into what we like, into our own image. We live by faith. And so it's critical that we get this question of faith right. And Timothy, if you read in 2 Timothy, Tim, uh, Paul said to Timothy, he goes, in the last days, people will reject sound doctrine. They'll ignore it. They'll grasp for a form of godliness, but deny the power that can make them godly. He says something in that text. He says, they'll always be learning, but never grasping the truth. Sounds familiar. We as individuals and we as the church and as King's Church, we have got to get the question of faith right. Do we, do we agree on this? Do, I have to place some urgency on why we're even talking about faith before I unpack this. Otherwise, you're just going to check out. This really matters to you, King's Church, that you get your faith right. And today we have a text where Jesus says, this is what it looks like to have faith in me. And so it would behoove us to actually step back and to look and say, what does real faith in King Jesus actually look like? I want to look at three things today, really, really quick. I want to discover and I want to look at what Christian faith isn't, where we get tripped up. I want to look at what Christian faith is. And I want to give us really quickly at the end how to have lasting faith where we get the power to have faith. So what Christian faith isn't, what it is, and how to have lasting faith. Are you with me? The valley's a little quiet today. It feels quiet, so I'm trusting that everybody is with me and tracking, and you, this is your listening face, is it? Okay, good. So first, what Christian faith isn't, what it isn't. We find Jesus comes, and it says he was amazed by the faith of the centurion, but then he goes on this little tirade. Did you catch it? And he starts to speak not about the centurion's faith, but the quality of Israel's faith and how they are missing the mark. Did you catch that? The centurion comes and says he was amazed by the faith of the centurion. We'll look at that in just a second. But it gives us some insight into what kind of faith gets us tripped up. And Jesus says to everyone listening, I have not found anyone in Israel who were Israel. They were God's people, God's chosen nation. He says, I've not found anybody in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and they'll take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? He's saying that the people of Israel right now think they're in place for the feast, but in actuality, they're going to be on the outside looking in because they don't have the right kind of faith. And in fact, there's going to be people come from the East and the West, Gentiles like this centurion, they're going to come and they're going to be invited to this feast, this everlasting joy that God invites all of his people to. They're going to be coming to this and they're going to get, get it in such a way that the people of Israel don't. Are you catching this? So Jesus rebukes Israel. He affirms the centurion and rebukes Israel in the same place. And he's basically saying this, Israel, your faith is misplaced. 
Your faith is misplaced. You have this sincere belief, but your belief has been subtly moved into a dangerous space where you think you're the one sitting at the table, but in actuality, you're going to be on the outside looking in. Jesus is echoing the words of Isaiah. He would later even quote it in Matthew 15, where Isaiah says, these people honor me with their lips. They say the right things and they do the right things, but their hearts are far from me. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that it's very possible to think that your faith is in King Jesus, but in actuality, your faith is in the system, not the Savior. Your faith is in the system and not the Savior. This past week, I was listening to the audio Bible, going through my Bible in one year. Hey, congratulations to those of you who are still on the hunt. We are almost there. We're like three quarters of the way through. And I was listening, and I've, I've read the book of Isaiah many times, but I never heard this. This jumped out at me and convicted me, where it says in Isaiah chapter 30, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. So I invite you to turn to me and rest in me and be saved humbly. In quietness and trust is your strength. Just this simple, subtle resignation to trust the Lord. He says, I invite you to this, but you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses and therefore you'll flee. What's it talking about? It's talking about how God invites his people to trust him, but so often we look for other vehicles of safety. We look for other things to trust. We look for other systems or ways or means by which we can find the safety that we actually want instead of sitting in repentance and rest and trusting God to deliver us, says in the scriptures, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. This is what this is talking about. And this is what Jesus is rebuking. He's rebuking this misplaced faith of Israel. I wanna take just a minute and I want to unpack for you three areas where you and I can so easily get duped into thinking our faith is in God and faith is in Jesus. But when in actuality, we have been pulled into a counterfeit faith. Three things that Christian faith isn't. Number one, Christian faith is not wishing. Let's get a different color and a bigger marker. It's not wishing. I want to delineate for you for a minute that Christian faith, faith in Jesus, is not wishing. I call this birthday cake faith. It's faith that is faithful. It's faith in faith. Hang with me. It's, it's having hope in hope. It's this ungrounded, unfounded belief in belief. Does this make sense? You're like, I don't understand what you're saying. When you have a birthday and you take the cake and you put it down in front of your kid and you say, make a wish, and the kid makes a wish, they're, they're hoping, but that isn't faith. They're, they're hoping something turns out a certain way, but that's not faith. It's ungrounded and unfounded. And if you talk to some believers and you ask them, do you have faith in Jesus? And they say, yes, I have faith in Jesus. But you press in, you'll actually find they just have faith in faith. It's not actually grounded in the person and work of Jesus. There are a lot of Christians who are believers in general, and they have this kind of existential hope, but it's not founded and fastened into the person of Jesus. It's, it's not far from sending positive thoughts. 
Good vibes only. There's a lot of Christianity that fall into this trap. I see it at funerals all the time. You see the quality of people's faith when they go through difficulty, especially at funerals. And I've been to Christian funerals where I've heard people get up and say, I know that grandma is looking down on me today and that she made a rainbow for us to make us feel better. And some of you are looking at me, do people say that? Yeah, they do. You you hear the craziest crap at funerals. I'm just going to be real. You really do. And you sit there and you think, where are you getting that from? Like, where are you, I, or you'll go to a funeral and you hear, I, I know so-and-so is in heaven now. And the question I have is, how do you know that? Like, what are you basing that claim on? And if you press in a little bit, you'll find it's not actually based in the gospel. It's not based on scripture. It's based in a hope that is just in hope. I hope that it works out. I hope that it pans out for me. It's hope in hope. It's the difference, for instance. Like when my wife goes on a road trip, she went on a road trip this summer, went and caught the Backstreet Boys in Bangor, (laughs) for real. Judgment, yes. Anyway, and the difference of like birthday cake faith wishing is uh, like, birthday cake faith is for me to say, babe, drive safe, hope you get there safe. And that's fine to say. But faith in Christ looks like me taking her hand and saying, Jesus, I ask today that you would cover her and guide her and you would protect her as she travels to see these 50-year-old men in white matching outfits try to relive the glory days. In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Like that's, do you, do, do you, did I lose you on the Backstreet Boys? Did I, did I? But you see the difference. One is hoping in hope. One is believing in belief. One is wishing that it's going to work out. The other is planting itself in Jesus, inviting him into that space. It's not wishing. And I have to press that on us. Christian faith is not wishing that things are going to work out in the end. It's not blowing out the birthday cake and hoping that God grants your wish. That is not Christian faith. Are you with me? It's also not... Here's that word again. Oh, yes. It is also not wizardry. It's not wizardry. If you were with us like a month ago, you'll know we had a whole talk about wizardry and sorcery, and, and, the, and we have a CR group for that. And just joking, we really don't. But, but what I mean by this misplaced faith not being wizardry, I mean there are a lot of us that can get caught up in Christianity in some kind of like magic form of following Jesus. That your faith is, oh, oh it's magic, right? Like that, that somehow following him is going to make sort of things work out for me in a certain way. And why I use the word wizardry or witchcraft, for instance, or sorcery, is because that is actually, what is that? What is wizardry? Wizardry and witchcraft are essentially the manipulation of power to get a desired outcome. That's ultimately what witchcraft and wizardry is. It's the manipulation of the elements and of power in order to try to derive a certain desired outcome. And it's very easy to have a form of faith that sees God simply as a beneficial force to be leveraged, not the Almighty to be worshipped. I said something very important right there. 
It is very easy in Christian faith to see God simply as a beneficial force to leverage and not the Almighty to submit yourself to and rest in. So example, like a lot of us have this sort of action-reaction understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So you see this a lot. I've, I've been here for 17 years. I've seen this so many times I've lost count. Someone will come to church and they will have an experience where they will encounter God. They'll encounter his grace. And if you're here today to find a fresh start, you are in the right place. Can I get an amen? There is mercy for you and there is grace for you and there is forgiveness and redemption and healing and restoration. Those things are all true. But don't be duped into thinking that if you just come to church, God is going to do certain things for you and that you're going to get in this kind of hocus pocus relationship with God that if you just dabble a little Jesus and a few prayers in, poof, all of a sudden things are going to go your way. You see a lot of people come and they'll experience mercy and grace and it's going well. And then they're discovering the principles of God that if you, if you give, God blesses you. And if you serve, God will, God, like, you'll find these things to be true until the moment where you go and you expect God to do something and he doesn't do it the way you asked. Then all of a sudden the formula doesn't work and you realize that the invitation of Christianity is to serve a savior. It is not to have a formula to make your life better. Does this make sense? Is this too heavy for a Sunday? No, this is crucial that we get this. It's easy to turn your faith into this kind of wizardry. And then the last kind of area that Christian faith gets misplaced, Christian faith isn't working. It's not, it's not work. Like if I would say wishing, wishing is kind of hope and hope. Wizardry is superstitious faith. Working is religion. It's the idea that if I just obey, then I'm, and I do certain things, and I pray certain prayers, and I do, and I show up a certain way, that that somehow is going to make God in my debt, and he's going to do things according to that. And we start to get caught in this religious system, performing rites and rituals, which isn't far off from this, to be honest where we start to think, if I just do this and sprinkle a little prayer, and if I just do this, then God is going to work in my favor. And there's a subtle deception there that we get caught up in because God does give favor, doesn't he? And God does reward those who diligently seek him. And God does reach into our lives and bring transformation. But if you see him as a system to be leveraged or as a potion to be added into your life, you have a misplaced faith. It's a misplaced faith. This is why Jesus said, you know, many will come to me that day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And they'll say, I never knew you. I never knew you. Your faith was in a system or your faith was superstitious or you just were wishing and wishing. You didn't actually have grounded faith in me. There's a, a doctor named Christian Smith who wrote a book called Soul Searching. And he coined the phrase that a lot of Christians actually operate not in true Christian faith, but in what's called, what he called moralistic therapeutic deism. 
where we try to do certain things and as a form of medic, self-medication and in a way to, to deal with this world. But in actual fact, it's not real Christianity. Like if we had time to unpack this, I'll sp- I'd spend more time, but I don't. But basically, this is a very common form of Christianity. You know, God exists and created and orders the world and watches over human life on earth. God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. That's where it gets exposed a lot. And that good people go to heaven when they die. You see, a lot of Christians believe this. And you might be reading that like, isn't that Christianity? No, it's not. Christianity is belief in the Son of God who gave his life up for me. It's, it's simply to believe in Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let's, let's define what Christian faith is. Are you, are you clear on what it isn't? And if I stepped on your toes, good. My toes have been stepped on all week. It's very easy for people who have been following Jesus for years to get pulled into religious works, to get pulled into superstition. Okay, God, if I do this, then you better do that. It's very easy to do that. So what does real Christian faith actually look like? Let's look deeper at the centurion. The centurion comes up and, and prompts Jesus' amazement. What in his posture and faith can we learn to help us get accurate faith in Jesus? It says he came to him and he said, Lord, that's important. He brought this need to Jesus. He says, my, my, my servant is suffering terribly. And then it gives us an insight into his mentality. Jesus says, well, you want me to come to your house and and, and heal him? And the centurion says, one, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. There's this humility and reverence. And then he says, but if you just say the word, he'll be healed. Because I know how authority works. I have authority and I know how it works in my context. And I have concluded that you have the authority to just say the word and he'll be healed. So will you please? Now, what is it about this? What can we learn from this? Three things that Christian faith is based on this story. Are you still with me? You are eerily quiet, Valley. Hopefully you're there, West, Halifax, Charlottetown. I can, I can, I can, I can hear you. Send your positive thoughts. It's such baloney. Anyway, I'm just sending energy, positive energy to you. Crazy. Get off social media, Brent. Christian faith what Christian faith is. First and foremost, Christian faith is tangible. It's actual. Tangible, actual, pick your word. It's quantifiable. This centurion did not stay in his home and hope that Jesus would would accomplish this for him. What did he do? He got up, left, and sought Jesus out and got an audience with Jesus. He literally put his body and his life and his servant's life in Jesus. He got into that proximity. It's really important that you hear this. Faith is not hypothetical. And faith, again, it's not hope and hope. Faith is tangible and actual. It's real. It's quantifiable. Like the, uh, the writer of Hebrews defines faith like this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. What does that mean? It's substantive. You can touch it. You can see it. You can quantify it. It's evidential. You can, you can actually show where your faith is. 
So in, in a, let me use an illustration. Right now, I am standing on a stage that my friend David Fowler built and some other guys came in and they built this. And I have had faith that this stage will hold me for about 10 years. You have belief that this stage I'm standing on will hold me. You believe it, but my faith is in it. Do you see the difference? You're standing on it. It's tangible. It's actual. It's evidential. And that's what real Christian faith is. It's tangible. What is it? Thank you. It's tangible. It's, it's actual. Oh, man. It's tangible. That, that writing is not. <laughs> What else is it? So, so you can quantify. Like, let me just push on this really quick. I'll be done soon, I promise. But let me ask you this question. Where, if, if you say you have faith in Jesus, let me ask you this question. Where is it? Like where in your time, in your money, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your values, you can circle faith. If you could zoom out and look at the whole of your life, you, you should be able to point to areas where I have trusted Jesus in that space. That's what tangible, actual faith is. Christian faith is tangible. It is also humble. It's humble. And what I mean by humble is it's, it's lowered itself as you exalt and raise up the greatness of Jesus. It's, it's you must increase and I must decrease. Did you notice when the, when the centurion came, he had a very high view of what Jesus was capable of. Did you notice that? It's like, you don't need to, you don't need to walk to my house. You're the Lord of everything. You could just wink and he'll be healed. He knew, he had this high view, this humble attitude that allowed him to be hands off. See, when you, when you trust somebody, you can be hands-off. I've been letting my son, my son Aiden, who's 12, I've been letting him drive our four-wheeler. And I sit in the back, and he started out the, this summer, and it was a little, a little herky-jerky and a little freaky, and I found myself reaching around him a lot and putting my hands on the wheels because we were going to die. And so... <laughs> But as he learned and as, as his ability and ableness increased, my propensity to reach around and put my hand on the wheel decreased. Do you see where I'm going with this? This is what happens. As your faith in Jesus' ability and sovereignty over your life increases, your reaction to put your hands on the wheels and dictate that his driving's bad decreases. This is how real faith looks. The centurion came and he said, I'm bringing this need to you. I'm putting it in your capable hands and I'm taking my hands off of it. It's this humble faith that trusts Jesus's ability to handle it. Let me ask you a question. What are you holding on to today? What, do you, what area of your life do you have on, a hand on the wheel because you don't really like how Jesus is driving? That he would say, hands off, trust me. What area? Let me just say this. Worry is the number one way we handle things we can't handle. Can I say that again? Worry is the number one way we handle. We put our hands on things that are out of our control. We sit there and we ruminate and we worry on things that you can't change anyway. What area of your life do you have a hand on something that Jesus would say, you either trust me or you don't? You either trust me or you don't. So faith is humble. And then finally this, here's the, here's the third observation I would say. Faith is settled. 
It's settled. It's like once it's in his hands, that's it. I have a settled confidence. The centurion comes and he says, I'm bringing this to you. You don't even have to come to my house. I know that it's, this is good in your hands. He says that like, I'm giving this to you. And this is the type of faith that amazes Jesus. This faith that is not focused on the outcome. It's focused on Jesus. Notice like he comes and he doesn't say, I'm going to go back and I'm going to see if it worked. It just says he brought the need to Jesus and trusted him. And I want to just press on this for you because I think this is going to help some people. Faith is not focused on the immediate outcome. Christian faith is focused on Jesus. And it trusts him to do with your need whatever he determines is best. And so a lot of the time we'll get... We'll get tripped up because we had faith and we believed for a miracle, for instance, but then Jesus didn't do the miracle the way we wanted. And all of a sudden we feel like our faith was misplaced or it wasn't good faith, but that's actually not what qualifies as amazing faith. Amazing faith is actually the kind of faith that comes to Jesus and says, I trust you regardless of the, the, like the circumstantial outcome. I actually trust your ability to make things right in the end. And so I'm going to take my hands off and I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. For instance, just last night I was reading the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It's the faith chapter. If you go home and read it, it's incredible. And it, it illustrates the heroes of the faith. And it says, you know, by faith, Enoch, who walked closely to God, was taken up and spared death. By faith, Noah and his family were delivered from the flood that destroyed the whole earth. By faith, Abraham became the father of many nations, even though he was well on in age. And it shows all these heroes of faith that experienced incredible breakthroughs. It even says, by faith, there were believers who God closed the mouths of lions and escaped the flames. And these incredible instances of God's miraculous hand of power delivering the people of God. And and then in the same chapter, in the same sequence of faith, of, of faith and heroic faith, it turns and it says, and by faith, some were tortured. And by faith, many died. And by faith, many were mocked and humiliated and distressed and persecuted. Many were imprisoned and stoned to death. What, what's going on here? Faith is not about the outcome. Faith is about trusting in Jesus, period. And it's trusting him with the outcome, even when he doesn't answer the prayer the way you wanted him to. And I have seen that. I mean, I've walked in this family we call King's Church for almost 17 years. We've seen amazing things. We've seen physical healing. We've actually seen it. This is not hocus pocus. It's not. We've literally seen God reach in and touch bodies and change it in a moment. We've seen addictions healed. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen thousands of people find life and hope in Christ Jesus. We've baptized nearly a thousand people in 10 years. Like we have seen the hand of God move, haven't we? But I've also seen the faith that trusts him with disappointment. That says, I brought this to you. 
I asked you to intervene. I know you can, but I trust your ability to manage this better than I can. And I have been there at the hospital and at the funeral home. where real faith is exercised. See, it's faith that brings the miracle and it's faith that says, even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. They're both faith. Are you catching it? Faith is not about the outcome. Your faith is not in the, it's not in the circumstance or the breakthrough or the miracle. Your faith is squarely in Jesus. Here's the definition of faith I'll give you. I, I, I thought about this Here's how I would, I would phrase what Christian faith is. And I'm almost done. Faith is the activity of trust in light of a future hope that is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what Christian faith is. It's, it's faith is the activity of trust. It's an action where you're putting your trust in Jesus. In light of a future hope, it is connected to hope. It is connected that God is gonna work this out in the end. It is the belief that even though we, there's, there's sorrow for the night, joy comes in the morning. We, are, we, we do have hope. And it's grounded ultimately in the person and work of Jesus. This isn't hope in hope. It's not well-wishing. It's not the hope that, well, I just... I just have faith it's all going to work out in the end. No, it's, it's faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself up for me. Therefore, I believe that a God who loves me like this and a God who moves on my behalf and a God who would die on a cross in my place and rise again in complete triumph and victory, I'm banking everything on him. That's Christian faith. It's this kind of hands-off, I trust you Jesus. So how do you have, how do you have faith? Like how do you, how do we stay in this space and we don't get pulled into works Christianity or wizardry? Some of you are like, you didn't know you were a wizard, but you are. Yeah, like all of us try to manipulate things. It's, it's called being human. Or even just wishing, having this airy-fairy birthday cake Christianity. Like how do we, how do we get ensure that we stay in this pocket of faith in Christ Jesus. Here, here's the very simple answer. I was thinking about, you know, what about the centurion? What, what about the centurion allowed him to have this type of faith? I got trying to think about his life. I mean, this guy was the commander of, you know, 100 soldiers in the Roman army, serving in proximity to Jesus, the only conclusion I can have as to why this man had, you know, just say the word faith in Jesus, it's because he'd heard. He'd heard about this man who was touching blind eyes and opening them and who was casting out demons and who could walk on water and see storms, who could raise the dead He'd heard about this man who taught as one with real authority. And so the centurion concluded that there is no authority on earth or in heaven 
greater than you. See, he didn't come to Caesar, did he? He didn't go to his commanding officer. He didn't go to a guru. He didn't go to a, to a scientist. He came to King Jesus because he determined that you hold all authority. His trust in Jesus was based in what he'd heard about him. Why do I say this? The Bible tells us that faith comes through hearing. So can I just say to you, have you heard about this Jesus? This Jesus who, by whom and through whom and for whom all things were made, this Jesus who holds together all things through the word of his power, this Jesus who created everything, this one who was there at the foundations of the world, who was planned, who was slain before anything even unfolded, this one who formed you together in your mother's womb, this, this Jesus who is God in flesh, who came to dwell among us to walk and live and move and breathe and touch lepers and open blind eyes and open deaf ears and raise up lame people to bring reconciliation between heaven and earth, this Jesus who went to a Roman cross to take on himself all the sin and suffering and darkness of this dark world this Jesus who disarmed every ruler and power and authority in heaven and on earth, putting it upon himself, who was laid to rest, but he wasn't going to stay there, who died on a Roman's cross, and who on the third day rose in complete victory, who was seen by hundreds of people at the time, that he was, this wasn't a hoax, and it wasn't a fabrication, and it wasn't some Christian conspiracy. He really rose. And he offers all people to come to him and find salvation and life and peace and renewal and second and third and fourth chances to find a hope and a future and to find in him rest for your soul that says, if you are for me, what should I fear? If God, who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave him up for us all, how much more will he not also along with him give us all things? Therefore, in him we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. What can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Can trouble or nakedness or hardship or sword or famine, neither height nor depth, nor angels nor demons, there's nothing that can separate us from this love. If God would die for you, what wouldn't he do? Do you see, Christian faith is grounded in the gospel. How do you have faith to trust him today? You look back at what he already did for you. And you say, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to work it all out. They didn't know how, the, how it was going to all work out when Jesus was put in a tomb. But we serve a God who is able to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into good. We serve a God who actually is greater than death itself. And so Christian faith says, based on the person and the work of Jesus, I'm going to trust that even in this disappointment, even in this loss, or even in this moment that I need divine intervention, however you choose, God, to come in, I trust that you are right and good and you are good to me. I just had the thought this week, preparing this message, just thinking about my faith. And I heard the Lord just say, Brent, what more do I need to do for you to make you trust me? 
You ever think about that? What more does God need to do for us to make us just trust him? When you look at the cross of Christ, when you look at his resurrection, and you look at the gospels about the faithfulness and the power and the wisdom and the goodness and the kindness of Jesus, it gives us the power to trust him today. Let me invite you uh, in the words of Peter. Peter was talking to the early church and they were literally being burned at the stake and fed to lions at this time. And Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God. Why? Can you read it out loud? For he, he what? He what? He cares for you. He can be trusted. Faith is trusting Jesus. Christian faith is trusting Jesus. Here's the simple invitation over everybody that's under my voice today. The Lord says, trust me. Trust me. What do you need to bring to Jesus today? Like the centurion and lay at his feet. Is it a child? Is it your kid? Is it a loved one? Is it a spouse? Is it your own life? The invitation is trust me. Trust me. Would you stand? I want to pray. Just open your hands. Holy Spirit, reveal, reveal the things that we've got we're hands on where you want us to be hands off. Uh, put, put the thing or things that have been causing anxiety and worry, just like in your mind and your spirit, like put them in your hands. Name it. And now... Uh, in faith, as I pray, cast that care. Take it to him. Say, Lord, I trust you with this problem. That you're able to bring good things even in this. So, Father, thank you today for the simple invitation to trust. Father, I pray for the one right now who's carrying a heavy burden. Maybe they're asking, they've been asking for divine intervention. Lord, I pray just for faith to continue to place that problem in your hands. Holy Spirit, I ask over King's Church today, I ask that you would give us a new revelation of the wonder of who Jesus is that would cause us to trust him at a deeper level. Father, I pray for the mom and dad who are worried about their kids. Lord, would they learn how to trust you with them, even as they work to raise up good kids? Or maybe the mom and dad, that they're empty nesters and those kids are on their own. Lord, I pray that they would learn to trust you with them, that you will work out and you will bring to bear the, the seed that, you, that there was placed in them. I just feel like there's some parents here that are really worried about their uh, young adult kids. Holy Spirit, would you just give assurance that your word will not return void? Give assurance, Lord, that there's gonna be a moment where those kids come to you like never before. Father, I pray for the one who's like placing their life in your hands today. 
I trust you with my life, God. I pray that they would experience the goodness and grace of God in a fresh and new way, Lord. We place our worries at your feet. We cast our cares to you this, to this day. And Lord, we, we place King's Church at your feet. We place Atlantic Canada at your feet. And we say, you are Lord and we're not. Just say the word over Atlantic Canada. Just say the word over our church. Just say the word over our family. We trust your ability to lead and guide us into all righteousness. We bless you, O oh God, and we pray all this in your matchless name and all God's people said.